Welcome to the Verite Podcast. My name is Sheena Souza, and I am honored to share my truth with you. The truth as I know it, what I have discovered and am discovering along this journey of life. Some will be universal truths, and some will be entirely subjective. But my hope is that as you listen to this, you will discover your own truths as we are all living and loving and learning together. Sweet, sweet, but psycho. This girl, she, she fiercely fought for her life year after year. And when she was too tired to fight, you know, others fought for her. And in the almost three years that I had known her and loved her, she was in and out of hospitals countless times. And each time it was, it was difficult because we wouldn't know if it would be the last time. And so one year, you know, shortly, shortly after we had moved back to California in June, I got a call that she was back in the hospital again. And, you know, she had many, she had multiple health issues. And one of them was her arteries were just too, too narrowed and damaged. And she had swollen up again. She wasn't able to pass any fluids. She wasn't able to eat or drink. And my parents asked me if I wanted them to send me back out there to be with her. And of course I wanted to go. But for some reason that time, I felt like it just wasn't the right time. And so I said no. And a week later, she was released from the hospital, back home again, doing much better. And then weeks went by, towards the end of the summer, actually. And she and I FaceTimed and touched base often. And until till August, I had got word that she was back in the hospital. And I woke up on a Monday morning and I just knew I needed to get out there this time. And she was no worse off than she'd ever been before, but something in me just told me to go, that it was the right time. And I called my parents and I asked if my mom wanted to go out there with me. And my dad jumped online and within hours, he had booked me, my mom, and Ellie, our oldest daughter, a plane ticket using points he had. And we left that Thursday. And here's the thing. I, I desperately wanted to surprise her and everyone else with us coming because nobody expected us to come. But as time passed, she got worse and worse. And so at the risk of exciting her heart more and possibly even overexciting her heart, like not her emotional heart, maybe her emotional heart too, but her physical heart, I, I did feel like I had to tell her I was coming. Honestly, with a chance that it might help her hang on just a little bit longer. And so I let her know on Wednesday that I would be there in a few days. And we were talking on the phone and with labored breathing and all the strength she could muster, she said in Crail, okay, mom, I'm waiting for you. And so that, that right, when we landed in Port-au-Prince, that ride into Carias from the airport was unlike any other I had experienced up until that point. There were so many car accidents that day on the road. One where 17 people had died. We passed bloody, mangled, dead bodies laying in the street. One one young girl, she was trapped inside a completely smashed car. And there was absolutely no way to get her out. I mean, there's no jaws of life there, you guys. And so people just stood there and watched as she baked 
in the hot car. It was it was so sad. And people grabbed whatever tree branches they could find and try to cover up bodies. And thankfully, Ellie, our oldest, she was asleep after being up all night on a red eye. And so she didn't have to witness any of it. But, you know, those images, they're, they're, they're you know, they're ingrained in, in one's mind once you've seen those types of things. And so, so we got to the hospital the next morning and, but Psycho was by far the sickest child in that small cramped pediatric room. She had, she had a pulmonary embolism. She'd had tuberculosis. She had had HIV, a lot of different issues going on. And so we walked in and she was so weak. But when she saw me, she just, she mustered the biggest smile she could, which wasn't very big, but I knew she knew who I was and that she was happy to see us. And she wasn't able to talk much. She wasn't able to eat or drink. And I just sat there beside her, just wiping the sweat off her face and kissing her and hugging her. And that hospital room was was really hot and stuffy. And, and there's no air conditioning in most of the hospitals. And so my mom sent our driver, actually, to go buy as many bags of ice as he could to cool off everybody because all these kids were just so hot and sweaty, and it's hard to rest when you're that hot. And so he came back with bags and bags, and we passed them out to all the families in the room. And I took turns with my mom and Ellie and one of my friends, Adrian, who had come to see her, and we all sat beside her and told her how much we loved her and... Ellie, I remember Ellie put a bracelet on her that she had made. And we drove back to the place where we live in Carias. And then my mother and I returned to the hospital again the next day. And when we arrived, I was I was pleased to see she was she was sitting up, she was eating, she had had way more energy and was very alert and responsive than I'd ever seen her in in recent weeks. But I had a feeling what that was. And I FaceTime Toss, uh, my husband and Lila, our youngest, so that she could see them. And I asked Fitzike if there was anything in the world she wanted. Like, what, what did she want? What did she want that I could give her? And you know what she said? She said, chocolate, which is chocolate. And my mother just happened to have one protein bar in her purse that happened to be chocolate. And so I broke it up in tiny little pieces and fed it to her. And after about an hour or so of her responding and interacting, her body was just so exhausted and she became so tired. And so I just lay next to her and I kept rubbing her and with a washcloth and some ice. And I knew, I knew in my spirit that I needed to speak to her heart and tell her what I felt like she was waiting to hear. And this is one of those moments where I'm in incredibly thankful I believe in a God who is bigger than me. I I left Haiti being maybe 25%, 30% Creole speaking, but it was always so exhausting and draining for my brain. You guys, to think in another language, in heat, like that added layer of heat, it's just, you can't even describe how exhausting it is. But over the next hour, with Batsaika as I was laying next to her, something supernaturally took over my mind. I can't even explain it. 
but I was able to fully communicate to her every single thing that I wanted to. It just flowed and I kept going and going. I don't even know how, guys. It was the Holy Spirit. And I asked her if she remembered the first time we met and we reminisced about, you know, how shy and timid she was around me. And I told her that from the moment I laid eyes on her, I knew she was a very special girl. And I talked about the first four days of seeing her and how she kept her distance from me. But after that fourth day and me continuing to pursue her, she finally warmed up to me and came over and stayed by my side and then never seemed to want to let me go. (laughs) I told her that I know she's fought so hard for a very long time and she was in a lot of pain. And I could see fear in her eyes too. I told her that she doesn't need to be afraid. And I told her, I said, if you want to go, you can go. I said, I know I will get to see you again. And you will see Toss and Ellie and Lila and Miss Kim and Adrian. I said, if you want to stay and keep fighting, that's fine. I will fight with you. But if you're tired and you want to rest and you want to go be with Jesus, that's okay too. And so I asked her, I said, what do you want? And she said she wanted to die. And so I kept, you know, trying my best to reassure her over and over again that she didn't need to be afraid and that it was okay. She could go. And we both cried and I kept wiping her sweat down and I could feel her heart working so hard to where every, here's the thing, her heart was beating so much and it was working so hard trying to pump blood that every beat shook her entire body. I mean, she was frail, guys. She was so tiny. And she struggled to breathe as her lungs were filling up with fluid. I mean, she was literally drowning from the inside out, okay? It's very painful. And all I could pray was, God, please take her. I didn't even pray for a miracle this time. Before, I had prayed for many miracles. But but seeing someone, let alone a child, suffer like this, it may, it may sound harsh to pray for someone to die, but honestly, I felt like it was the most merciful thing I could do. And so the time came for us to go that day, and I told her I loved her and that I would, that I would see her again. And the last clear thing she said to me was, thank you. And she actually chose to say it in English instead of Creole. And I hugged her mother and told her, I told her mom that she's a good mom that she's had to watch her child suffer year after year. And she's always the one that takes her to the hospital and stays with her and sleeps in a plastic chair upright for weeks on end, goes without food, and does her best to try and stay on top of the plethora of meds that Betsyko is on. And the funny thing is that her mom would always call me Mommy Sheena. I always found that kind of funny. She would, she would call me Mommy Sheena. But, you know, I think it's, it's an acknowledgement that I love her daughter as well. And she can see that, and she's grateful. And so we left the hospital, and I got to spend a day with all the people in the village at the orphanage, which was wonderful. It was, it was like water to my soul. And I went and checked in on Betsyka's little brother, older brother, uh, several times. And I gave him a report of how she was doing 
and we left early the next morning. It was a quick trip. It was just a few days. And but Saika's mom sent me a voice message asking if we had left already and arrived home. And once I got it, I told her, yep, we had arrived early Wednesday morning. And after a few hours of sleep, I woke up in my own bed in California on Wednesday, frustrated and just torn apart, you guys, that she was suffering so much. And I begged, I begged God to take her that day. I said, no more, please. I just want her suffering to end. And I never begged God to kill, not kill, but to let anyone die. I've never, I'd never done that before. And that night, Toss came home from work and we sat down to talk about my trip. And my phone was turned face down because I don't like any distractions when I'm talking with someone, so I'll face it down. I told him about the trip. And for some reason, in the middle of my sentence, I reached for my phone and I turned it over. And I saw a message that was 13 minutes old from a nurse, one of our nurses. And all it said was, she's dead. Lee Muri. And there was a relief. Disbelief, sadness, joy, heartache, just just a range of emotions. And Toss and I sobbed there in the kitchen and we called our girls over a little little later and told them. And and we just stood in our kitchen and my heart broke for her family, her brother. I asked Toss to pray. And Ellie and Lila were so sweet. They just, they were hugging and kissing on us the whole next day, you know, making sure I ate and... um, and I remember Ellie, she was nine then. She had been crying, but but because of a different reason. She she told me that although she didn't have a strong connection with Betsyka like I did, she has a strong connection with another little girl there. Her name's Chloe. And Ellie broke down sobbing because she said, Mom, I can't imagine something happening to Chloe. And I can't imagine how you must feel right now. But I am grateful that she's no longer suffering. And when I think about her, you guys, I smile. I smile so big because I know our reunion one day will be so sweet. And it is sad that when I walk the, the village, I don't, I don't see her anymore. It's been a couple years. I remember after that trip, we took a family trip down to Carmel, Monterey area. And she, but like, was probably the first significant person I've lost in my life. And I don't know, I don't know how to grieve, you guys. Now, since then, we have lost a lot of people, a lot of people that I love. I can't even count. But she was the first significant one, and I didn't know how to grieve. And so I took a, <laughs> I, I took a bottle of barbancou, which is Haitian rum. And I sat on the floor for like a whole day, and I just drank that. <laughs> I just cried. And you know what? Everybody grieves differently. It looks so different on different people, and it looks different each day and each month and each year. But now when I think about her, I, I'm i so happy. Her body is virus-free, disease-free, pain-free. She can breathe. She can dance. She can walk. She can sing. And that girl forever changed my life. 
She changed my family's life. She changed my children's lives. And I love her so much. And I just hope she knew how much she was loved. So until I see you again, Benzaika, I love you.